Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Historically, the first couple of centuries, Christians started to make compromises, particularly under the influence of St. Augustine in the 3rd, 4th century. And that compromise was in order for the pagan church or the pagan civil form of government was being so overcome and so overrun by the Christian influence that they manipulated the Christians to making compromises so that they could coexist. Are you with me? Whenever you have two opposing forces that are making compromises so they can coexist, you've got a problem pending. And so we have three primary churches in the world today that are based out of that compromise, and out of those have come all of the sectarian community, all of Protestantism. They've all carried with them the same root doctrines. Now, the Methodists are different than the Baptists in that the Methodists, of which we came out of years ago, uh, believed in being very methodical. That's what the word Methodist means, to be methodical. And that was out of the Pentecostal movement, which believed that everything should be, you know, just whimsical. If you felt like shouting or rolling in the aisle, well, you could do so. So the Methodists came in and said, let's put some order to this. So each of these had a dominant thing in trying to overcome some of the problems that they had inherited from their origin. So those, we have three primary religions today in the world that are all pagan in base that have adapted some Christian ideas, the verbiage of which we still hear today that people use, but they don't have a clue as to what they mean. And who can give me those three basic churches, you can be be specific, that have a pagan origin and that were the result of a compromise between paganism and Christianity? Somebody said something. All right, Catholicism, well, Roman Catholicism was the primary one. It was the mother of, of uh, you know, of, of adopting some Christian ideas into their basic pagan ideals that were instituted by Augustine. And then Catholicism split into the Greek Orthodox and they had a few little minor things. And it's just like Protestantism is divided today in between Calvinism and Arminianism, but there's no difference. 
The only difference is that the Arminian, the Calvinists believe that you don't have the capacity of believing unless it's unilaterally granted to you, and which are most churches. Arminian, which are the churches of Christ, Christian churches, and other churches, believe exactly the same, except that you have the capacity of hearing data, accepting it, putting it together, and believing it. But that's the only difference. So there, the difference between Greek Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church, and we always say Roman Catholic because Catholic and Roman don't mix, do they? Roman is very geographical, and universal says no geographic. Catholic means universal. The only, we are the only universal church on the planet. We're, our headquarters are where? In heaven, and we have a universal king, and that's the kingdom of God, which has always been in existence. Access to it was given on the day of Pentecost, but the authority is in heaven. That's what makes it universal. You can't be Roman and Catholic at the same time, so we always have to use those two words together. Right? Understand? So then there was the Greek Orthodox, which had some minor differences from Roman Catholicism, mainly in the clergy ideas. And then there is what is known another split off from Roman Catholicism, but kept all of the basic tenets of Roman Catholicism is the Coptic Christian who are found where? Egypt. Egypt. That's what the word Coptic means is, is uh, Egypt, Egyptian. And so when when you look at uh, the uh, Coptic Christians, they don't have anything in common with us at all. They have a different God than we have. They have a different spirit than we have. They have a different view of the kingdom than we do. They have a different view of mankind than we do. They have a whole different view of everything. There's nothing alike. But they carried the name because, you know, they carried that name with them out of Roman Catholicism. And there's very little difference, or very, very little correlation between what they believe and Christianity as we understand it from the New Testament and apostolic authority. I'm just going to give you one example before we get into our theme up here today. And that won't be, this won't take me long. Um, And this is from their... You know, you can look this up. And this is behalf of Enger. This is for your sake. You asked me this question two weeks ago. But if you turn to Mark, uh, can, can you get on uh, uh, Matthew 10? <clears throat> because this is from their website. I wanted to have some source of authority. The Coptic Orthodox Church uh, split off of the Catholic Church You know, the Catholic Church really didn't form until 533. That's the first historical record of it having a pope. And so what existed before them was an unorganized church. But they claim that they split off of the Catholic Church in 451 AD, which is almost 100 years before the Catholic Church was ever really formed with their first pope. There is no historic pope mentioned before that in history. There are some who had an assumption of rule. But the, uh, the, uh, Copt, uh, the Coptic Church, they have their own pope and their own bishops. 
and their heavy emphasis is on aestheticism. Pole sitters, you know, sitting on a pole. How, is that a, an attractive lifestyle, Pat? Oh, a telephone pole? Yeah. Putting a board up there and sitting the rest of your life on that board? Is that, no. is that kind of what you want? No. That's called asceticism, where you have a total denial of anything that brings pleasure to you. Anything that is delightful to you, you deny yourself of anything. So that's where the pole setters came from. Have you read about them in history? Go back and read about the pole. They don't tell you that here in their website. But that's what asceticism means. <clears throat> and uh, so the, the pole sitters uh, came out of that form of thinking. It was a religious base that uh, Christians should, not, should deny themselves um, everything. Anything that brings to you pleasure, you need to deny yourself of it. So in order to reach that to its maximum height, you simply found a pole and made residence at the top of it. Do we have any volunteers? So when I say we're not like those folks, that's what I mean. We don't believe that at all. That is not how God intended you to be. God did not intend to be depriving you of the joys of life. He wants you to have good health. He wants you to prosper if that's in your capability. He says in First John, I wish above, Second John, I wish above all things that you may be in health and prosper. That's not asceticism. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, there were no bathrooms up there. Yeah. All right. Now, from the website, the Coptic Orthodox Church claims apostolic succession through John Mark, author of the Gospel of Mark. Apostolic succession through John Mark. Now, I'm only going to do this one thing, and then we're going to leave this, because I've got pages and pages and pages, and you know, there's just nothing that agrees with New Testament Christianity the simplicity, the purity, the coziness of New Testament Christianity is not found on any of these pages. Just, it's not found. So I'm only going to use one point, and that's the apostolic succession. Let's look at Matthew 10, and I want you to look at this together with me. <clears throat> uh, 10, um, 10 verse 2. I think it's Matthew 10. Yeah, there it is. Okay, now the names of the 12 apostles. Now, what did I just tell you? That they believe, they claim, apostolic succession through whom? John Mark. Well, we have Peter. We've had Andrew. We have James, we have John, that's John Mark, we have Philip, we have Bartholomew, we have Thomas and Matthew, we have James, we have Thaddeus, we have Simon the Zealot and Judas. 
Where's Mark? Did you see Mark? Case closed. How can you claim to be an apostolic succession, which in itself is a foreign idea to the Bible? The apostles had no successors. With their rapture in Thessalonians, that was, the apost- that was the end of the apostolic and miraculous age. They went to be on the 12 tribes, uh, on the throne to judge the 12 tribes of Israel at the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And that's probably more than you want to know. Okay, so I'm going to simply conclude that by saying that the Coptic Christians of Egypt today, when they are persecuted, they're not being persecuted as if they were one of us. They are being persecuted because they have carried with them pagan ideas that the Muslim community despises. Not because of their Christian values. You need to, you need to know that. All right. Now tonight we... Uh, tonight. Is, have we been here that long? All right. It seems like it, doesn't it? Okay. Now we want to look, we want to look at the word spirit and define the word spirit. That's all we're going to do. We've only got a few minutes left just to define the term. And I think, first of all, we'll go to um, Galatians chapter 6. And um, I think it's 18. Galatians 6. And I'm going to give you two rules. And it's verse 18. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 18. Then we'll get back to the chart. Greg has made a beautiful chart. He, he, he just does a beautiful job. I give him the information. He puts it together. And I wonder, wow, how did he do all that? <laughs> so in Galatians chapter 6, now you need to pay attention. There's two rules here. One is we want to define what the word is, and we're going to use normal Concordance definitions, lexicon definitions, not mine. I want you to understand they're not my definitions as to what the word the word spirit means. First of all, can we pull that up uh, in the Greek and take it to a definition? Right here. Pneumatos. Right here. Pneumatos. And what does it mean? Can you read it? A current of air. It means air in movement. And when the word spirit is used, it's used to mean that, and that that is the only thing the word spirit can mean. When you put another meaning to that word, you've just picked up on paganism. And that's not meant to be complimentary. Our churches today have become just as pagan as the old pagan churches of Rome, of Egypt, or of Greece. Because we have put a mindset on a word that has no relevancy to the word that is used in the original text. The word simply, and by the way, that, those, that is, those are not my words, folks. 
That's the word, you know, from Strong's or all of the lexicons, they all agree. Now, the word simply means breath because the breath contains who you are. You can go to a hospital. I've told you this before. You can go to the Emanuel Hospital in Portland, Oregon. They have a huge hospital there. Uh, I think it's Methodist in origin. But it, they have a huge diagnostic clinic there. It's blocks big. And all they do is breath analysis for cancer purposes. They can diagnose all forms, all types of cancer, tell you where it's located in your body, all through your breath analysis. It's the only one that I know of on the West Coast. That's in Portland, Oregon. It's called Emanuel Hospital. So <clears throat> that's because the death can, the breath, the air that you breathe is who you are. It contains everything about you that there is about you. That's the idea here of how that word is to be used. The second, the second rule here is you'll notice that he's talking to the Church of Galatia, and he says to the Church of Galatia that the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, be or be with uh, your spirit or the spirit of you all. The yours, the your there, do you see that your? Do you see that? Right there? That's plural. He agrees. Alex agrees. Your plural spirit, this is a modifying the word spirit, is singular. And the word spirit is always neuter. You wouldn't expect, expect breath to have a gender, would you? We all have the same breath. Breath has no gender, therefore the word breath is always in what gender? Neuter, because it always means what something is. Has nothing to do with a separate person, that's paganism. And when the pronoun your spirit is used and the yours is plural, He's talking here about the spirit of the church. The thing that the church expresses, its identity. We were talking about it before Sunday school this morning, Neil and I were. And, you know, some churches have an antagonistic spirit. You know, you just walk, know when you walk in, it's cold. You don't need air conditioning in the summertime in some of our churches. You know, they're cold, formal, liturgical. And I'm for There's a place for liturgy. Our Lord's Supper is a liturgical function. Something you do repeatedly. And uh, there has to be the appeal liturgically. There has to be the appeal emotionally. There has to be the appeal intellectually. Those three things combined is what makes the assembly meaningful. <clears throat> so when, it's, when you have a plural pronoun with a singular object, it's talking about what they as a whole experience. It's not that they have, that they have a living person at all. The church isn't, doesn't, all the people aren't all having a, a literal individual person person. 
your spirit, singular, means that it's what can, that's what the whole church, the whole church is expressing a singular identity. So it may be a good identity, it may be a bad identity, but it's like when you go to a ball field and you hear a game, there is a spirit that emulates out of that ball game. And you pick up on it. And if it's the winning side, you pick up on their thrill and on their joy and on the pleasure they're having. That's the spirit of the ball game. That's what the word spirit always means. Because that's what the word means. I mean, it can't mean anything else. It's always neutered. And it is always to be defined as to what it is. Now, let's look at our chart. We have just a few moments left. And we'll give some examples here. Do you see this chart right here? Let me read to you the, um, the definitions that we've made to help explain what we've just said. Spirit is the evidence that gives a person a place or a thing its identity. Did you get that? We've modified it over here, or a little bit. Spirit defined is the inherent. That means it's who you really are. That's what we mean by inherent. It is the inherent and release. That's the motion. The word spirit has motion. Movement of air containing everything that some, all of the characteristics, the full disclosure of what something is, that spirit. The inherent and released characteristics that define the nature of a person, thing, or action. Now, is that true in every way it's used in the Bible? Well, we've used, I think I've listed almost everything, I may have missed some, but that was not intentional, believe me. And if you can point out one that I've missed, let's just take a couple of samples this morning, and let's talk about here the spirit of truth from John fourteen seventeen. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he's talking to, who's the you here? Just guess. The apostles. We haven't got time to go over that again. But he's talking only to the apostles. They were the ones who received the helper. When did they receive the helper? On the day of Pentecost, 33 A.D. That's the only time it was ever granted, and it was only granted to the apostles. And that he may be with you, you, again, with them, for as long as, you know, the word forever means everything that's between two points. When it says that the, the Sabbath will last forever, it means it will last between two points. And what were the two points? The beginning of the law and the end of the law. And then, of course, it ceased, and we now have the first day of the week. And, and, that's, and that's the word age. And, of course, that's the word, the word forever, the word eternal, uh, the word everlasting, the word age, all come from exactly the same word but they're translated differently according to the bias of the translator. 
So you've got to be careful. Now, this is where we want to go. That is the spirit of truth. Now, how, there's that phrase, the, the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. What, how, if we can understand, what, what is the spirit of truth? Isn't it the disposition of truth? Isn't it what truth is? How truth conveys itself? When we come to the assembly, is there a spirit of truth? Is there a ring of truth? J.B. Phillips has a book called The Ring of Truth. Wonderful book. Some things simply don't have the ring of truth. But the teaching of the scriptures in its purest form always should have a ring of truth. That's the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is not always pleasant, but it's always real. Because truth means what is real, and the spirit is the expression of what is real. So the spirit of truth, the spirit here should not be capitalized. Why have they capitalized it? What's the bias in that? Because they're putting it as a proper noun. It's not a proper noun. It's just the word spirit. It's the word breath. Would they have capitalized it had they translated it properly and just put in their breath? No, they wouldn't have done that. But they are, in, they are infiltrating your thinking by manipulating even the capital full case and small case letters. So we have the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is not a separate entity. It is just simply that truth has an expression that you can pick up on, that it is the inherent nature. It gives something its identity. That's how we've defined it over here. All right, let's go to number two. We have in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, we have the spirit, again, neuter. And notice again that it, is it capitalized? It will be capitalized. The spirit of there, oh, I, we missed it here. That's, still don't have it. Hebrews 10.29. Oh, right down here. He has insulted the spirit of grace. So you ask yourself, you see, we miss it when we think of the spirit as being a, an entity, as a personal being, we miss all of the biblical strength and substance. The spirit of grace is not that grace is a separate entity or a separate person. It's the expression of graciousness. It's the identity of graciousness. It is how we understand grace. That's the spirit of grace. The church should be a place of graciousness. That should be its identity. That's how we should identify it. That's its spirit. And every church should have that. The spirit of grace. See, as soon as you put that into a person, it has no meaning. We've robbed, we've robbed the Bible of its content. Let's look at one more, and then our time is up. Boy, it's all your fault. Let's go to 1 Peter 4.14. 4, 
Because they all, these are the same phrase. So if here, in, in uh, this is uh, 1 Peter 4, 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are spoken well of, because the spirit of glory and of God, the glory is in a separate entity, it's how you identify glory. Glory means the recognition of. It's how you recognize something. And the uh, and the uh, whoops and and the and the uh, the spirit of God, the spirit of glory, they're equal to each other. So if you have if you have the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace and the spirit of glory, and they're not separate entity, and it's exactly the same phrase as the Spirit of God. When you make the Spirit of God a separate entity, and God is spirit, you have taken away from God the one thing that he is, and all you have left is the shell of a God. You have taken away who he is if you make his spirit a separate entity from himself. And the same thing is full of, uh, is true of Christ. We blaspheme Christ when we make his spirit another separate entity rather than the full disclosure of who he is. See, we take away the meaning of the identity of what these things mean and represent. We lose our substance as soon as we transfer it into being a separate entity. Our time's up. Have I made anybody sufficiently mad? You can stay. I can continue. It won't take me long from this point on. But I think, you've, I think you should probably get the point at this point. Whenever you see that word spirit in your Bible, whenever you hear it, do never, never is it ever referring to a separate entity. It is always referring, even if it is speaking, it is referring that it is speaking about what something has come out of or is from. It is the inherent quality of what something is. That's how we define the term. So whenever you see that word spirit, always put in your mind breath in motion containing all of the characteristics of what it is that's breathing. You see that? And you can prove it. You know, verse after verse after verse, the same phrase. And then we come down to the last two, the Spirit of Christ, and all of a sudden we want to change the meaning. So we've tried to give you an example of how we form a definition through the consistent use of the term as it's used throughout the New Testament. We're going to sing our closing song today, and you're saying, wow, I'm sure glad it's coming. Oh, okay. Uh, Greg says there's a list back there. That whole chart is back there. And you're welcome to take one and take it with you. And this is identical, I think, to what's up here. Thank you, Greg, for putting that together. He did that after I told him I wanted it for today. All right, let's stand and we sing. Our close, I don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll hear it when it comes. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.